And the reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 23. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Mm -hmm. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come for you, to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they've supplied what was lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It is uh, wonderful. Ooh, I'm loud. It is wonderful to be back with you uh, one more time this week. And uh, I want to thank publicly uh, Pastor Lucas for the invitation to be here and to share with you from God's Word. You know, in conversation with your pastor, I understand that you have been making your way through 1 Corinthians now for going on almost two years. And so I must confess, I do feel a little bit of weight of responsibility to be the one bringing the final message from this last chapter uh, chapter 16. And then also, as been mentioned, your annual church meeting happening later today, there's the additional challenge there to 
find something in this text that might be applicable and, and, and relevant to that as well. So as we begin, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the many words that he wrote in the inspiration of your spirit to churches and to individuals. And this morning, as we look at his final remarks here in 1 Corinthians, may your spirit uh, speak to each one of us with a unique message about the calling to serve. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So yes, considering that today is your annual church meeting, I believe that the obvious message in relation to that is right there in the opening words of the chapter, isn't it? Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So now that I've made everyone in the room uncomfortable... <laughs> You know, as much fun as it would be to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking about financial responsibility and, and giving to the church, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? But, you know, Paul only gives four verses to that here in this passage. And also, I don't want to take that opportunity away from your pastor, right? <laughs> because, you know, like they say, the pastors really love preaching about giving. So I'll reserve that for his domain. <laughs> uh, but it, it does suffice to say that Paul just mentions that we should be responsible. We should be generous with our money. But that's enough about that for this morning. Now, you may recall from one of Paul's letters to Timothy, it's actually his second letter, it's chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a preacher, as a pastor, there are some passages that upon first reading seem to have very little to do with teaching or training or instruction of any kind, and chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians is one of those passages. <laughs> preaching a sermon from this text is very much like preaching from someone's travel itinerary or their diary, or their notes that they took at an administrative meeting. It's really riveting stuff, right? <laughs> what great and profound insights can possibly be gained from Paul's rambling to visit Corinth, but only after he goes to Macedonia. And then I don't know how long I'm going to stay in Corinth. Maybe I might spend the winter there. Maybe not at all, but only if God wills. And then, of course, I'm going on to Ephesus. Please, Paul, we've already lost interest, right? <laughs> So as I read over this passage a few times in my early preparation, trying to find something in these administrative details that would be useful and helpful to us, something stood out to me that is actually very common at the end of most of Paul's letters found in the New Testament. You may have noticed as the passage was being read that there are multiple people, individuals, mentioned here specifically by name. Now, some of these mentions, some of these people are in an administrative context. You know, this person is going to come see you and so forth and so on. Some of them are 
kind of general greetings or recognitions, uh, kind of a spiritual shout-out by Paul, you know, hey, say hi to so-and-so, right? Some of these names are familiar to us, like Timothy. We have a few letters from Paul to Timothy, so we know a little bit about Timothy. But some of these names are only found here in this chapter in the New Testament. So I decided I would just follow my curiosity and try to learn more about these individuals, these people that are on Paul's team, people that he considers significant enough to mention in some sort of fashion to the Corinthian church. Now, I could just come this morning and simply give you just a a little biographical report on each of these characters like we were in primary school. My name is John, and this is my report on Timothy. You know, I could do that, but I think it would be pretty boring, and I'd probably lose your interest very quickly. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if somehow we could hear their stories directly from them? If maybe we could ask them in person some questions about what is their history, what is their story, and why did Paul mention them here in this letter? Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that you probably didn't know about Resurrection Church. Downstairs, in one of the storage closets, hidden away, is a time machine. You probably were not aware of this. But earlier today, I went down, I used the time machine, and I went back in time. And I brought with me today a panel of distinguished guests, direct from the first century AD. Now, all of our panel this morning are mentioned by name here in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. So let me introduce to you, we have Timothy, Apollos, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, Aquila, and last, Priscilla. We're going to listen to them talk, hear about their backgrounds, hear about their ministry, and I've prepared a few questions for them to ask them why they were mentioned here in this particular letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. So we'll just go simply in the order that they're mentioned in chapter 16. We're going to start with Timothy. So Timothy, uh, many of us here are familiar with you. You know, we've read some of Paul's correspondence with you, but could you remind us maybe a little bit of your upbringing? And can you explain why is it that Paul was concerned that you might be afraid of going to visit Corinth and that the people there might treat you poorly? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, hi, my name is Timothy, but I guess you, you already knew that. Uh, well, let's see. I'm from Lystra, a town, a small town where I grew up, and I was from a culturally mixed family. My mother, you see, was a, a very devout Jew. Her name was Eunice. And my father, though, was a Greek. He was a Gentile. And that caused a little bit of controversy when I first began working with Paul some Jews didn't quite accept me as being Jewish enough. But like I said, my mother was very devout. And she, along especially with my grandmother Lois, they, they raised me in the Jewish faith. Now, the first time that Paul came to visit Lystra, where we lived, we heard him teaching about how Jesus was the fulfillment of our expectations for the Messiah. And my mother and my grandmother immediately became followers of Christ. And when I saw them working with Paul and cooperating with his ministry, 
I too was convinced of the message of the gospel. And I went from being a devout Jew to being a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And then a few years later, the next time that Paul came through our city, I was, I was commissioned by our elders, and I was invited to go along with Paul on his travels, on his journeys. Yeah, for, for a while there, it was, it was me and Paul and Silas. Yeah, we went, we went everywhere together. We went to Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and yes, even to Corinth. We're mainly teaching and encouraging the brothers and sisters in the early Christians there, in the early church there. Sometimes, Paul would send me off to different cities. Maybe I would be carrying a letter from him to the church there, or maybe I would just go to encourage the believers. So you ask, why was I concerned? Why was Paul concerned about, about me going to Corinth? Well, to tell you the truth, I was still pretty young at the time, and I wasn't an elder. I didn't have the prestige or the social status that, that other people had. And also, to be honest with you, the people of Corinth, they had kind of a reputation of being, well, a little arrogant. It could be a little unpleasant at times. And what they would do is if they, they didn't like someone, well, they would express their displeasure by mistreating that person's associates. Now, I'm guessing you've read the rest of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, so you probably know that he had some hard things to say, and there were some people that were you know, not so happy with him. So I guess maybe Paul was just worried. He was concerned that their animosity towards him might, might spill over to me. Yeah, that's the kind of guy he was. You know, Paul, he was, he was always looking out for me. He was always taking care of me. Thank you, Timothy, for that insight into your relationship with Paul. That's wonderful. Now, next on our panel, we have the most distinguished Apollos. Apollos, help us understand your background, your education. And here in this letter, Paul says that you were unwilling to go to Corinth. Why was that? And we do know that earlier in the letter, Paul mentions the Corinthian church had fractured into a Paul group and an Apollos group. Was that maybe part of your hesitation? Yes, in fact, that was part of my hesitation. Uh, but let me first answer your question about my background and my history. I am Apollos, a Jew born and educated in Alexandria, Egypt, which was sometimes called the Second Athens because of our high culture, our society, our emphasis on knowledge and learning. Perhaps you've heard of the great library of Alexandria, yes? Anyhow, because of my family's high social standing and financial means, I received a private education to what you would consider university level at the highly valued subject of Greek rhetoric and debate. I was also schooled in the Jewish scriptures, and I took an interest in using my skills of debate to demonstrate to other Jews how Jesus was our promised Messiah. This took me to the city of Ephesus, where I began to minister among the Jews there. And eventually, I saw the need to expand my ministry across the Aegean Sea. And the church in Ephesus encouraged me to go to Corinth. 
Now, shortly before I arrived in Corinth, some of the Jewish leaders there had brought charges against Paul before the Roman governor, Gallio. They claimed that Paul was teaching in a new way that was contrary to our old laws. Now, Gallio refused to rule on the case. To him, it was a minor cultural infraction that was not worthy of his attention. But when I arrived, I was able to use my rhetorical skills to refute the case of the Jewish leaders and to defend Paul's claim that Jesus was the Messiah. So I stayed in Corinth for quite some time and eventually was helpful in converting many of the Jews to become followers of Jesus. Now understand, I have a good relationship with Paul. We are brothers in the ministry of the gospel. But we are different in our approach as preachers and teachers. Paul did not have the same benefits of the elite education that I did, and so I suppose that maybe some of the believers in Corinth preferred my style of careful argumentation. Eventually, I returned to Ephesus, but I discovered that in the Corinthian church, there was, as you suggested, the formation of a Paul party and an Apollos party. Now, understand, this is the same thing that would happen in secular education circles. Disciples and students of teachers would argue in favor of their teacher or of their school for reputation or for status and influence in the political assembly. And I wanted no part of any such similar division corrupting the fellowship of the church. And quite frankly, I was upset that my name was being unwittingly entangled in such debates. So I told Paul that I would return to Corinth, but only at such time when God provided the right opportunity. And so I am thankful that Paul was able to address this controversy in his letter to the church. Well, thank you, Apollos, for explaining that very complicated situation to us. Now on our panel, we have three men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Stephanus, I'll be honest with you, uh, we don't know a whole lot about you other than the three of you appear to be close friends of Paul. Well, he says here in this letter that your visit to him refreshed his spirit. It appears that perhaps you were the couriers of a letter from the Corinthian church to Paul. Is that correct? What can you tell us about yourself and your companions here, Fortunatus and Achaicus? And why did Paul encourage the church in Corinth to give you recognition? Well, sure. Thank you for your interest. The name is Stephanus. That's Greek. It's short for Stephanophorus, but Stephanus is fine. After Paul arrived in Corinth, uh, my family and I, we were the first ones to accept the message about Jesus. And we were among the few actually baptized by Paul himself. Yes. So no offense to our brother Apollos over here, but I guess we were some of the first members of Team Paul. <laughs> He would refer to us as the first fruits of the gospel in Achaia. And we were just really so humbled to be involved in the work of the ministry there in Corinth. You know, my family and I, we dedicated ourselves to the service of the, of the church and other Christians through, through teaching and through, through hospitality. 
Fortunatus and Achaicus here, they're my friends, my co-workers, my business partners. They're actually both former slaves. They're now freed men. Uh, Fortunatus, that's Latin. It's for a blessed or, or lucky, you know, fortunate, right? Fortunatus, that's his nickname. It was a pretty common nickname that former slaves took for themselves. Oh, and Achaicus, that's Latin too. That's a nickname that he picked up when he was a slave in the West because he's from Achaia. You know, Achaicus from Achaia, you get it, right? You have nicknames for people based on where they're from, right? I, I think I heard someone refer to someone else as a Kiwi earlier. Is that, is that something you do? So, yes, yes, we were the ones who delivered the letter from the church in Corinth to Paul. And we were the ones that gave him the message that prompted his response. We told him about everything that was going on. We, we brought greetings from all the believers in Corinth to Paul. And, and, and we just had a great time of fellowship and reunion there with him. We just wanted to serve, you know. And I think that maybe Paul was concerned that the church didn't give us the respect that he thought we deserved. I mean, we were his first fruits and all, right? Anyway, I know that it's hard for some people to see slaves, even former slaves, as equals. But that's what Paul does. He argues on everyone's behalf. It doesn't matter what your social status. You know, he used to say to us all the time, in the body of Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free. We are all one in God's spirit. Thank you very much. That was a great insight into your relationship with Paul there. Now finally, on our panel, our last two guests, they're actually married to one another. This is Priscilla and Aquila. Now, we've heard your names mentioned very often by Paul. You apparently had a significant impact on his ministry. Can you tell us how that all got started? And here in this letter, Paul sends your greetings to the Corinthian church. So, so what was your relationship with them? Hi, I'm Aquila, and I'm Priscilla's husband. That's right. I am proudly married to a strong, talented woman who, quite frankly, is more famous than I am. You probably notice that most of the time when Paul mentions us, he usually puts her name first. Now, in your time, that may be normal, but back in my day, that was not common at all. We're both tent makers. It's our family trade by history, and that's how we came to know Paul, because of our shared occupation. You see, we were living in Rome until many of the Jews there began causing some trouble, and the emperor Claudius issued an edict expelling all the Jews from the region. So we fled and eventually found ourselves living and working in Corinth. We had a little shop for tent making, and Priscilla and I, we lived in the room upstairs. Now, when Paul first arrived in the city, we allowed him to work out of our shop we even let him stay uh, and sleep downstairs with the, the leather and the tools and the equipment. He ended up staying with us for a year and a half. So we were well connected to the church in Corinth. But even more so, Priscilla and I became committed to Paul and his ministry. 
So much so that when Paul decided to move on, we made the decision to go with him. We worked with him in Syria, and eventually we settled down again in Ephesus. Ephesus. That's where we met this guy over here, Apollos. And yes, he was as good as a, of an orator as they said he was. But when he first came to our city, he didn't quite know everything about Jesus' story. So Priscilla and I, we invited him over to our house. That's where the church was meeting at the time. And we just straightened him out on a few things, you know, filled him in on the rest of the details of the story. Back when we had fled from Rome, we didn't know what the future would hold for us. But when we met Paul, it became very clear that God had blessed our partnership, blessed it for the spread of the gospel message. In following Paul, we became a bit nomadic, you might say. But thankfully, our occupation as tent makers was a valuable one, and it was easily transferable from city to city as we moved around. God blessed my wife and I with a business, a business that we could rely on to support our desire to minister to others around us. Thank you. Well, thank you to our panel of guests this morning for coming and speaking to us. As soon as the service is over, I will get you all back down to the time machine downstairs. <laughs> Well, I hope in some ways that it was beneficial for you to hear directly from some of Paul's associates, some of Paul's team members, some of his most valued companions. And so let me make a few observations about their stories and the kind of people that Paul had on his team and what that means for all of us. Now understand that this is just a small sampling of the people that Paul mentions in his letters. Right? These are only the people he mentions here in 1 Corinthians 16. And it's certainly just a small slice of the many, many people that worked with Paul in his ministry. But I hope you noticed as you listened to their stories, what a diverse group of people were represented here. First, there was Timothy, right? Timothy is the young upstart of the group. He has the passion and the zeal, but maybe not quite the same education and training. He came from a mixed family, both culturally and religiously, but he was nurtured to faith by his mother, by his grandmother. He is a dedicated young man, and it's obvious by reading some of the other writings in the New Testament that Paul spent a lot of time nurturing him, mentoring him, and encouraging him. Then you go to the other end of the spectrum. And we have someone like Apollos, who comes from a family of financial means, extremely well-educated, comes from a very prestigious city, likely the upper crust of society. But rather than make a name for himself in educational or political circles, Apollos uses his widely recognized rhetorical skills to convince other Jews of the truth of the gospel message, to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. Then there was Stephanus, an ordinary businessman of some sort. We're not sure exactly what. But clearly, this man and his family were open and receptive 
to the good news. They were Paul's first converts in the region of Achaia. They were devoted to service. They were devoted to God's people. They were humble encouragers. And his friends, Fortunatus and Achaicus, they were likely either his employees or his business partners. But more significantly, they were freed slaves, probably not high on the social ladder, right? But like Stephanus, they were willing to go and do whatever God called them to do, even if it meant traveling a long distance just so they could hand deliver a letter to Paul. Finally, there's the husband and wife dream team that Paul mentions frequently. And yes, he usually does mention Priscilla before he mentions Aquila, but he always mentions them together. They are definitely an example of unity, of purpose, and of service in marriage. They used their business as mission, both in the sense that they had a secure income that allowed them to do the work that God called them to do, like traveling with Paul or leading a church that met in their home, but also their business opened doors of opportunity for them to create relationships with other Jews, to share the gospel with them. I mean, that's how they got connected with the Apostle Paul through their shared occupation. So I suppose, as it turns out then, 1 Corinthians 16 is a very appropriate passage for today, this day of your annual church meeting. Why is that? Because every one of ourselves who call ourselves Christian, no matter our age, our financial status, our gender, our education, our marital status, or our culture, we are all called to be servants of God. No different than Timothy, Apollos, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, Aquila, and Priscilla, and many, many, many more that Paul lists in other letters. Who are the people that make ministry happen? Who makes Resurrection Church work? Who makes a Christian impact on the Hong Kong community? Who's on the team? Often, it can be far too easy for us to say, but I'm not like so-and-so. I don't have their gifts. Well, I don't have their talents. Or I don't have the time to give. Or I don't have the money or the training or whatever fill in the blank that you might want to insert. But the reality is this. If you're young and inexperienced, that's okay. You're on the team. If you're well-educated and have a prominent social presence, you're on the team. If you're an eager and humble servant, you're on the team. If your occupation or your social status maybe sometimes make you feel inadequate, don't let it be because you're on the team. If you have a business that can support the ministry of the gospel, you're on the team. If you're married or if you're single, you're on the team. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ, you're on the team. Who are the people that make ministry happen? Who makes Resurrection Church work? Who makes an impact on the Hong Kong community? You do.
each and every one of you do. You're on the team. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for calling each one of us to partner with you in the ministry of the gospel, both personally and part of this church body. We thank you, God, that you enable us to do what you've called to do. That no matter our background or our history, our financial status, that God, you give us the gifts and you empower us to do ministry in your name, to love others in your name, and to share the good news of Christ in his name. And it's in his name that I pray and through the power of the Holy Spirit.